Hello, Texans, and welcome to the program that gets you inside NRG Stadium. Mark Vandermeer with you with John Harris back together again. It's been a while. It's been almost a week since we've done a program together, Johnny, and it's great to be on with you. We have a lot to catch up on. You ready to go, my friend? Of course, we do have plenty to get caught up on uh, each day, inching ever so closely to the end of the offseason and the beginning of training camp. Oh, can't get here fast enough. I know. Well, it's May 18th and it's flying. I got to say it's flying because, you know, the offseason gets started and you have some events. We really haven't had it the way it's usually been because of COVID. And now we're coming out of COVID. But you look at the calendar and you realize it's going to be here before you know it. You know, in two months, it's just basically the eve of training camp. And there you go, off and running. They're in phase two right now, the offseason program. And I've got a loaded question for you to start off the show here. Oh, boy. A loaded question. Will Tim Kelly be different, better? How will he be second year as an offensive coordinator? Now, it's his third year, really, but second year as a play caller. And what do you think last year did for him? Because he's very active out there right now, active with the rookies, active with the veterans. I mean, he's the offensive coordinator. And obviously, with the help of Pep Hamilton and the influence of David Cully, it's going to be different. But how different do you think it's going to be, the system? You know, Cully does tell you a lot but he's not going to show his whole hand here of course because if there is one thing they have it's the element of surprise and they don't want to blow that for opening day against jacksonville after that maybe all the hay is out of the barn or the horse is out of the barn or the hay is in the barn whatever but you get my drift here they're going to try to keep it as close to the vest as possible for a while what are you expecting well with tim i think the biggest thing is just going to be a comfortability factor when you consider the the art of calling plays um, and there's definitely a science to part of it. There's an art to, to part of it as well. You know, one of the things that people, I think, you know, they, they, they can call plays very, very easily from home. But the play calling process <laughs> is extremely difficult. You've got, I don't know how many ever coaches in your ear. you got your head coach down the way who wants one thing. you got your coaches up here trying to give you down a distance, what hash it's on who's in there, what personnel they have on the, the defense has on the field. You have all those things going around and then you got to look at your play card and be ready to go. And you got to do all this within, you know, 40 seconds, but shorter than that, you got to do it in about 20 seconds to make sure that you give your quarterback an opportunity to get up to live scrimmage, see the defense and even talk to him in his ear up until 15 seconds around the play clock. So you basically have 20 seconds to have all this chaos going on and then you know, figure out what play you're going to be, what play it's going to be, and make that call and get that call clearly to your quarterback uh, in his ear with the coach comp system. That is not easy. Yes, all you armchair quarterbacks out there, oh, it's easy. You run the ball. You do this. <laughs> not that easy. Until you've done it and you can realize how difficult it actually is, it takes a little while to get comfortable. And it felt like by the end of the year, Timmy was getting comfortable with that. And I think that's the biggest thing is that now there's a comfortability factor in I've done this before. I've been in this role. I know what to expect. I know the things that were successful. I know that trusting this coach or like just shutting guys off for the first five seconds or inquiring about these certain things before I give the play call, those things are all hugely important. Here's the, here's the last one, as crazy as it sounds. Spitting on that play call, that can be 
14, 15, 16 words to your quarterback. Getting all right. that out, just saying it and making sure that it all makes sense is that also is a factor too. So you got to do all that with about 20 seconds. I think Tim is just going to be more comfortable in doing that in 2021. And once you find that comfort, it's going to make it that much easier. The other thing about it, Mark, is I remember the very first year I, I, I called plays. And I mean, obviously on a different you know, level, but I remember after going back and self-scouting at the end of the year, and I'm like, oh my God, what did I do there? Okay, I'm, I'm changing this. And we're going to do it this way going forward. And you just know what adjustments and what changes to make. And if you see a particular defense, you know this is the adjustment you want to make. Those are all the things you can do in self-scout after the year. And I know that Timmy's gone through and done that, I would imagine, every single game and figured out every single play. And he's now in his second year being able to call plays. And I think it's going to be huge for him. Yeah, it should be. And it's funny you mentioned how long it takes to even say the name of the play. I was yeah. once doing a luncheon with Schaub, and that question came up from a fan. It was a great question. Can you just say the name of a play? You know, we were at a dinner or something. It was a luncheon, dinner, whatever. It was a meal. And he said the name of a play, and it went on and on and on. And I thought, yeah. geez, how do you spit that out in time? As you say, you have 15-second deadline, right? And then he's got to be able to say the play to the teammates and then spot yeah. anything that needs to be addressed at the line of scrimmage. So – all that stuff happens very quickly. And I think if you got one thing out of last year, you had Tim Kelly on the job training, Bill O'Brien gone after week four, he had to be the guy coaching the offense and he took it over and it didn't transform instantly. But as the year went on, it really got better. You know, it really got better. We saw those last three games, the running game got better, that kind yep. of stuff. Now I'll ask you another question. James Campen is the offensive line coach. He's getting his first taste of action with these guys, the guys who are incumbents and the guys who are new. And what do you think the effect is going to be of Campen and however they organize things with the guys up front with this O-line because it's going to be different. You hope it's better. What are you expecting? Well, I expect it to be better. I mean, he was with the Packers for 11 years. I mean, he was instrumental in taking a guy like David Bakhtiari uh, fourth round pick and turning him into one of the best, if not the best left tackles in the game. And that green Bay offensive line was always successful, whether it was Favre, whether it was Rogers, it was always a successful unit as long as it could stay healthy. Uh, and that was kind of the key at the end, you know, Lane Taylor signed with, with the Texans, his last year that he played uh, where he was healthy was 20, the beginning, the, right at the beginning of 2019. Um, and that was not, well, that was, there wasn't much there. 20, you almost have to go back to 2018 to see him play in full. But that was another guy that Campen helped develop uh, when he got to Green Bay. So it's the development to me of players. It wasn't that they got a bunch of first round draft picks or second round draft picks. And he made those guys, you know, those guys were really good players and they remain good players. He took third, fourth, fifth round guys and turned them into excellent offensive linemen. And that to me is, is the biggest thing, that development um, into, into tremendous football players up front. I think you combine that with what's here. There are a ton of vets, but there, there are some young dudes. I mean, Titus Howard, Max Sharping, going into year number three. So they're going to be hearing things differently for the first time. After hearing it from Mike Devlin, they're going to be hearing it from James Campen. And with the success Campen has had, hopefully that's going to be something that you know, those two players in particular are able to, to grab onto. 
and learn from. And then there are some veterans coming in that all together, hopefully it's going to make for a pretty cerebral offensive line room. And that's what you want, but you, you obviously proofs of the pudding, but it just seems that James Campen is a guy that has developed players all along wherever he's been Packers. Uh, he's with the Browns for a year, Chargers doesn't matter. He has developed offensive linemen uh, very, very well. And I hopefully, that's going to be something that even established veterans, a guy like Laramie, a guy like, you know, Laramie gets better uh, because of James Campen's influence. So I'm excited to see what James Campen can do for this offense. But you you bring in James Campen and Pep Hamilton, among others, offensively. Those are two pretty well-respected position coaches uh, throughout NFL, throughout college. Those guys uh, really know how to get it done at those particular positions camp on the offensive line and Pep Hamilton at quarterback. So I feel like there's just more offensive brain firepower that is going to help make that unit that much better week in and week out. All right. Quarterback position. Obviously we still have the humongous story out there. Very serious story with Watson and we don't know how it's all going to resolve itself. Obviously a ton is out of the control of any of us. Uh, yeah. So let's just talk about who's available, right? And that would be Tyrod Taylor, Davis Mills, Ryan Finley, uh, Mills over the weekend in the rookie camp. You have Taylor. I ask, actually asked Coach Cully about Taylor on a partner's call, and we'll play those comments later on this week. Uh, you know, what he brings to the table, especially in this particular situation with all the unknowns. But your take on Mills and Taylor and what's going on right now, because uh, you have you know, the availability of such, and you got to get ready. I mean, you have to get as many guys ready as possible. There's no question. And for Davis Mills, I mean, obviously his head's probably got to be spinning in some respects. Mm -hmm. There are probably going to be some things that he hears that he's like, yo, wait, I know that one. I know that one, <laughs> but it's, wait. you know, the offensive, the, the, the off season, uh, I was just talking to somebody a little while ago at the off season, you know, it's a great, it's a great time because there's no, game at the end of the week you don't have to be stressed about that you just go out coach ball learn a little something and go from there but for these rookies in particular they get an opportunity to learn but man they're learning at a rate probably faster than they ever have and I think that's the biggest thing and hopefully Davis can pick all that up and soak it in from Terod Taylor just listening to Rod and the things that he says and how he goes about his business that's a that's a massive part of the education. I mean, I think about just the things that I've learned over the years, sometimes just <laughs> it's going to sound funny, but just shutting up and just listening to people talk <laughs> and listening to what they say. And they're they, they may not even know in the room what they've said could strike a chord with somebody and could be something that they learned from. They might not even know they're doing it. But well, they just might be talking football, and that might be something that a young player overhears and goes, oh, wait a second, I need, to, I need to write that down, or I need to get on top of that. So I think that's what it is for Davis Mills is just soaking it up just like a sponge every day. And then for Terod, it's – and I know this is hard because he's been in a situation where there was a first-round draft pick in Cleveland with him in Baker Mayfield. There was Justin Herbert with the Chargers. It was going to be a matter of time before those first-round picks – got on a field. Unfortunately, because Terod got hurt into those two places, it was a lot sooner than later. But it's another, now it's a third round pick, but it was the first pick the Texans had. Here's another rookie. He's been through this situation before. It is tiring. It's tough. It's frustrating. But what we know about Terod Taylor is 
he's a tremendous professional and he's going to try and help Davis Mills if at all possible for as long as Davis wants to soak it in. And that's why Davis just takes it all in and Terod is there to help that, but also to get himself ready to play if indeed he is needed to play. And Ryan Finley, there's, there's nothing like an opportunity. And he's looking at it going, hey, wh- why not me? Why, why, why can't I be a part of this mix? And, you know, coming on NC State, he was pretty highly thought of. You know, he was a guy, ironically to me, that reminded me when I went back and did Davis Mills and studied him, Ryan Finley was the name that came to mind as I was watching Davis Mills. So they're, they're somewhat similar. So you've got, you know, these three guys, and obviously we know that the situation is up in the air and no idea really about it. But from those three guys, the biggest thing is make sure that from a playbook standpoint, that when you go on the field, everybody's going to be looking at you. Everybody's going to be looking at you. Did I line up right? Am I in the right spot? Am I on the ball? Am I off the ball? Am I at Z? Am I at X? Hey, tight end, uh, should I be on the ball? Am I off the ball? I'm over here. As a quarterback, you're that guy. You're the guy that says, nope, on the ball, off, move, shift. You're doing all that. You've got to make sure that when you go out on the field with those guys, they get that. They understand that they can turn to you, and they're not totally sure, and you're able to say, there, over here, next to me, up by the tack. You've got to be able to direct them in that particular way. If you don't build that trust, then these offensive players are wayward. They're like, well, I can't rely on my quarterback. Oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? Now, it's on them to know what they're doing. But to have that resource out on the field, those three quarterbacks have got to provide that for those players. All right, so flipping sides of the ball. Here we are in phase two, Johnny. And Lovey Smith coaching this D, trying to get it ready, trying to get it in midseason form, ASAP. I'm not saying they're there yet, okay? We haven't even hit training camp yet. Can't wait for the preseason games, by the way. That's going to be so much fun to see preseason games and just get a taste of what this bunch can do and where they need to improve and what looks good, what needs work. Anyway, so you have Lovey Smith's Tampa 2. How does Zach Cunningham fit in to this particular D? How do you see things sort of shaping up? From where we are right now, I know things can change, but what is your thought on what could be accomplished here? Well, I think that Zach Cunningham fits this defense about as well as a linebacker could fit it. And Lovey is going to ask his linebackers to do a ton in this defense. Obviously, stopping the run is a massive deal. I mean, especially in this division. Right. With Jacksonville, James Robinson now, uh, Travis Etienne, with that guy up oh. in Tennessee. Oh, good grief. Jonathan um, Taylor. Then oh. Jonathan Taylor, Marlon Mack, oh. Hines. you got to be able to stop the run. But what all every single one of those guys that, I, that we mentioned is also a pretty good pass receiver. So those linebackers have got to be able to stay on the field, play the run, but then be able to cover receivers out of the backfield. And in, in, in Lovey's defense, the one thing a linebacker is going to have to do is be able to run down the middle of the field in yep. that Tampa two, because in a traditional Tampa two, you had two safeties covering two halves of the field. But what Tony Dungy, Lovey Smith over the years crafted was look, let's let those safeties play wider and let's let our middle linebacker run down the middle of the field to allow those safeties. If there's a ball in the middle to give them more time to get there. So they're just covering more ground. And so that's where Brian Urlacher came in, and he was a perfect fit. Now, Zach is not the size of Brian Urlacher, but he definitely has the speed. Got to run. That he's got. 
and he's got to, and you got to be able to run as linebacker in this in this defense. Man, you cannot be just a, a gap plugger. You can't just be a guy that plays on first down, comes off the field. And I think Zach is that guy we've seen develop over the years. Now he still has he still has some things he's got to clean up in his game, especially from a coverage from a coverage standpoint. And I think from the run game, he's very very comfortable. He he relies on instincts, and there might be some different reads. And some things that might be different in this defense than it was in previous defense. But the key for him is see ball, find ball, tackle the guy with the ball. I mean, that, that's pretty much it. See ball, find ball, that, and that's it. And that's whatever the defense is, that's the biggest key uh, for him. And I think he's going to fit this defense. I think there are two players that really are going to benefit from the change in schemes, and one being Zach Cuttingham, the other being Ras- Ross Blacklock up front. I think this defense is made for Ross. He is a guy that wants to get upfield. He wants to penetrate. I do think that in time, Ross could develop into a very, very good 3-4 defensive end, a guy that could play you know, different spots on a 3-4. But he's a 4-3-3 technique. I mean, that, that's the way he's built. That's the way he played at TCU. And hopefully that's what he gets back to here because I think if he gets back to that, it provides not only – the ability to take on blockers, but the ability to speed past them and be disruptive and chaotic up the field, that's going to be a little different. And that's going to make things different for these offenses who got to face them. So I think Zach Cunningham and Russ Blacklock are going to be two guys that end up benefiting from this change in defense from 3-4 to 4-3. All right. So they're also working on special teams, of course, they always do. And I think that based on who they have, acquired this offseason, they got a lot of options in returnability. I mean, kickoff returns, punt returns, they've got a lot of different directions they can go. It's got to be like a yep. conga line when they're out there trying to return <laughs> punts. You know, they, not enough reps to go around for all the possibilities they have. You know, when you go from Andre Roberts on down, they got a lot of different guys who could possibly handle the role. And I like that situation. I don't know who the gunners are going to be or anything like that, but again, they got a lot of bodies for that too, uh, because anybody coming in here, they know, look, I better play special teams for the most part. All right. Not everybody's going to do it, but for the most part, you got a lot of guys who want to hang their hat on something, make that final 53, you better play special. And it's not like they have a plethora of rookies to go to. These veterans are going to have to help. There's no doubt. And I, when you look at the guys that have that were signed, I can look at each one of them and go, well, this guy played special teams for a while. This guy played it for a while. This guy played it for a while. You see guys that not only played special teams, but excelled on special teams. And that's something that I, no matter what kind of offense, what kind of defense you have, you got to be able to ball out on special teams. And it, it got to a point last year with guys that were hurt and banged up the special teams suffered more than anything else because now you're taking guys that were typically on special teams and now they're getting hundred percent of the reps. I think of Keon Cross and Keon's one of the better special teams guys in the entire league, but Keon had to come off special teams for the most part because he had to play full-time corner the last two, three weeks of the year. So now your special teams are without one of the better players in that particular group. And that, that was an issue. So, First of all, guys hopefully can stay healthy, but you're also going to have, I think, a bigger pool to pick from for guys that will go down on special teams and be a factor on special teams. I'm curious to see 
how that part of it plays out. But you know as well as I do, Mark, that there are going to be some guys on the bubble, and it gets decided by this guy plays special teams, and that guy tries but is not very good on special teams. Or that guy doesn't play special teams. We know how that cut is going to go down. We know how it's going down. If it's close, the guy that plays special teams, it can be a factor on as many special teams on the floor as possible, is going to end up being on that particular uh, – is going to be on the roster. And other guys are going to end up not making a team as a result. But there are so many guys that have special teams experience. I think it's it's going to make that group for Frank Ross, special teams coordinator, it's going to make that group that much uh, deeper than, than it's been, if that's possible, just the fact that you have that many guys that have played special teams in the past. Boy, I mean, between the player roster and the assistant coach roster, I've got my work cut out for me here. You know, yeah. this has been a mm-hmm. lot of work this off season to get to know these guys. <laughs> and I just can't wait to see them really get going in training camp, mini camp. And as these OTAs evolve here. All right. One other thing before we break, uh, Sean and Seth, were talking about it. David Cully called Garrett Wallow, a football playing Jesse. Are you in on that term or not? Have you, yes. I've definitely heard it before. I've heard it, mm-hmm. but where have you heard it? What's the history with you? Because they were debating I, this. And and I think it was Seth or one of them brought up that Mark Schlereth has said it before, you know, highly publicly. I, I mean, I, I can't remember exactly where I've heard it. There have been so many phrases over the years uh, that I've heard. But I feel like being in the Southeast Conference area, I've heard I've heard some, some Southern coaches over the years mm-hmm. – uh, refer to that as such a football playing Jesse. I don't know why I've heard that. It just, I, I've, I heard him say that. I was like, yeah, I like that term. And then I heard Sean and Seth going, have you ever heard that? I'm like, yeah, of course I have. So I, I, I love all those terms. Uh, I mean, um, I love the one about, it's not about the X's and O's, it's about the Jimmy's and Joe's yep. football playing Jesse. Those are just straight out, they're straight out of the South, straight out of Texas. So mm-hmm. I, I can't pinpoint where I've heard it. Yeah. But I know over the years I've heard it. I've spent enough time in the southern region of the United States that I know I've heard that at least once. There's so many different phrases, too, not necessarily involving names, but like in basketball, I've just heard so many coaches say, we got to get after it. We got yeah. and, and I think everybody knows what that means. You know, you got to yeah. get after it. Go at, you know, well, get after it. Yeah. Why? Well, my, uh, well, exactly. So my, my third year in coaching, I moved over to a different school. And so we're getting ready for the game. And so coach uh, puts up, his name is Brady Ackerman. He's now the coach at Bellevue High School in, in Florida. He'd been at Jackson State for a while. Was a Florida Gator silent reporter for a long time. He's a good friend of mine. It's my first year coaching with him. And he puts up the schedule for the game on the board. And I wanted to just check it out just to know when my units were going out, all that. At the very end, game starts at 730. And he puts G-A-T-A at the bottom. And I stared at it. And I was like, G-A-T-A. And I could not, for the life of me, figure out what G-A-T-A meant. I'm like, God, it it was driving me nuts. But I felt like I should have known. So I didn't ask. And I'm glad I I didn't ask. I ended up finding out what it meant the next day. Because it was an offshoot of what you just said uh, with a bad word seemingly at the end uh and that tells like i like that i kind of like that i'm going yeah. with that and so i would use that whenever i would put up my pregame schedule g-a-t-a and then i had one of these kind of 
young kids who uh, was a little bit more bold than I was. It was, hey, coach, what does G-A-T-A mean? I was like, <laughs> don't worry about it. We're just going to get after it. We'll be okay. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. Oh, I like that. And I think everybody can guess what the acronym stands for. All right, coming up. Who's better? It's Tuesday. We're going to play this. We got quarterbacks. We have something that you did over the weekend. We're going to do it all on Texans Radio. Mark Vandermeer and John Harris with you. Great to have you along Tuesday evening. And we're doing a show together for the first time in almost a week, so that's fun. All right, ready to play Who's Better, Johnny? It's Who's Better. Of course. Let's go. Sometimes it's What's Better, but in this case, Who's Better? We're going to go quarterbacks first here. And look, Aaron Rodgers, so much news on him. Tom Brady with the TV show. I'll get to that in a few moments here. But Tom Brady... Aaron Rodgers, you have one game, who you picking? Because there's still so many people out there. He's the most talented quarterback. He really is the best quarterback right now. You got one game to win. Who are you picking? Brady. Oh, at their peak, right? What? At their peak. After a peak of what? No, that's what I'm saying. At their peak in their careers. Uh, yeah, well, uh, no. Well, forget Anytime. it. I'll take if, 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 I'll take him if, anyway. If I've got him, okay. If if I've got to take, say, uh, the Broncos, mm-hmm. and I got to win one game with the Broncos, right? All things considered, I'll take Brady. I, I'll take Brady to win one game tomorrow. I'll take Brady. I'm guessing it's for the same reasons I would do it, but tell me why. Trust. I have seen it. I've yeah. seen him yeah. take lesser and make more yeah. out of it. Yep. I've seen him do that, and 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 maybe if Rodgers. You know, and maybe that's why the Broncos have been rumored mm-hmm. to uh, to be going after Aaron Rodgers because George Payton, the GM, was a Minnesota Viking. He saw Aaron Rodgers twice a year. Well, we've seen Tom Brady every year. We've right. seen Tom Brady rip our hearts out when we thought we had a win in 2017. Uh, we've seen him bring the team back from behind. Like, man, where'd this guy come? I mean, 2019, we've got a three-touchdown lead. And all of a sudden, it's winning a touchdown, and oh my gosh, they could get the ball back and win this thing. Holy smokes. He just always gave them a chance. Aaron Rodgers is, he's always been one of my favorites. And, and I go back to that year because I always thought that the 49ers made a mistake. I said it before the draft, right after it, the 49ers should have taken Aaron Rodgers. So I've always been an Aaron Rodgers guy. But there's just something about that one game opportunity. I just know from Brady that he will not let his guys lose. He won't let him lose, and he'll find a way. He'll find a way to beat you in some way, shape, or form. And to make a comparison, that was Jordan. Jordan may not score 40. He he just was going to find a way to beat you. That's all he had to do is beat you on that day. He would find a way to do that. Or Magic Johnson. That's what Brady would do. And Magic, same way. Yeah, same way. And and look, I the in-laws are Giants fans because they're from New York originally, right? So the Vander kid and the in-laws were watching a replay of the Giants Patriots first Super Bowl, right? Where yep. the Patriots yep. are trying to go undefeated and the Giants are nine and seven going into the postseason. We all know the rest of the story, but the Patriots score late in that game to go yep. up and Randy Moss catches a touchdown. Brady in that game doesn't look that hot. You know, look, they could have made a stop the Patriots and they win the Super Bowl, right? They didn't do it, right. but he doesn't look that hot, but he just knows where to go with the football. Not everything is yeah. perfect. I think Aaron Rodgers is probably more athletically talented. I mean, this is not a stretch, yes. but there's just something about the winner mentality and it's hard to define. It's a lot of intangible stuff, but it's very tangible when you look at the trophies. All right, next, who's better? Let's go old school quarterbacks. Are you ready? Ooh, okay. I'm not going to go auto Graham on you the way I did. It. <laughs> 
I'm going to go a little okay. newer old school. Who's better, Jim Plunkett or Joe Theismann? Who's better? They faced each other in a Super Bowl. Theismann got blown out. But we all know there's more to the career than that for both yeah. these guys. However, they both had some rocky roads. So give it to me. Plunkett won two Super Bowls, but he was originally drafted by the Patriots. Didn't work out there with the Raiders. Didn't always work out there either, but he kind of surfaced when he needed to, to win those two Super Bowls in 80 and 84, right? Theismann won the strike shortened Super Bowl 82 season mm -hmm. uh, when they beat the Dolphins. And the next year they got back to the Super Bowl, but obviously lost to the Raiders. So who do you think? Who's better, Theismann or Plunkett? I think overall, Theismann was more talented. I mean, Theismann went to the CFL and played, I think he played receiver or played a different position in the CFL. Wow. And then came to the NFL after that. I think Plunkett was a better overall quarterback. Mm. And I would trust Plunkett in a tough situation to come back and deal with adversity. The reason that it didn't stick for Plunkett early was the fact that he was stuck on the 49ers and Patriots, and those were two of the worst teams at that time yeah. in all of football. In football history, those teams were awful. <laughs> if you would have given Jim Plunkett the opportunity to play with the Fun Bunch and the 83 uh, team formerly known as the Redskins, uh, Plunkett puts up those same numbers, if not better numbers. I'm going Jim Plunkett over Theismann, even though I think Theismann was a better athlete. I think Plunkett was a better overall quarterback. I mean, you look at Theismann with the hogs in front of him and John Riggins running the rock the way they did. Yep. Didn't Riggins have some obscene number of touchdowns in 83, 84? I mean, just ridiculous yeah, 83, yeah. gobs of touchdowns. And obviously Theismann was the beneficiary of that. Uh, I think both guys are good, but I, I'm with you there. I think probably Plunkett. All right, who's better? You ready for this one now? I know that you watched Sam Houston State win the national championship oh, yeah. over the weekend. You've done many of their games over the years here, Johnny, and you've interviewed Casey Keeler. I've only interviewed him a couple of times, but you've talked to him a lot. Yep. So who's better, Casey Keeler or half the Division One head coaches in America? Because Casey Keeler, oh. what does the guy have to do? I don't know if he wants a job in, in Division One, in FBS, if you will. I don't know if he wants one, but my goodness, Delaware, here, wherever he goes, he just wins. Johnny, all he does is win. What's the problem yeah. here? Is there a problem? Come on. I don't know. I think this championship should open people's eyes, especially the fact that it was in the spring. And, and, I, and there's a part of me that doesn't even want to talk about it because – I don't yeah. want to. I don't want to think about Sam Houston State without Casey. But he won a Division Three championship at Rowan. Then he goes to Delaware, played in it three times, coached in it three times, won it in two thousand three, and then got Sam Houston back with a group that he absolutely loved. It was it was just it was a blast talking to him all year long at different iterations of the season and doing his games. And then I talked to him last week. He just he loved this team, but. I've said it for a long time. I think he's a whale of a coach. The question to me is because he is so successful, I don't know that he would want to take a bottom rung power five job if it just was, you know, if you're going to beat your head up against the wall against Alabama and, and, yeah. and Auburn or, you know, LSU or whomever, A&M now. I mean, it's, ugh. but, you know, I think there's a, there's a, there's a situation out there for him. You know, Willie Fritz ended up taking Sam Houston to Frisco, then he went to Georgia Southern, then he went to Tulane. And I think Willie's in a really good situation with Tulane. 
I think Casey, given the same opportunity, would do the same thing. Um, you know, like, in, in, you know, if, if Casey would have gotten the opportunity at UCF, I mean, that program would be just as well off as it would be with Gus Malzahn. I think Casey is mm-hmm. one of the, the hidden, unearthed gems in coaching uh, in college football at, at any level. Uh, and there's a guy that just took the Kansas job that he reminds me of, and that's Lance Leopold. He was a championship-winning coach at Wisconsin Whitewater. Then he takes the Buffalo job and gets Buffalo going, University of Buffalo, makes them a consistent winner. And then Kansas fires Les Miles and the AD, and they reach out and they get Leopold this spring. And I think it's going to make Kansas better in the long run because he's a whale of a football coach. So sometimes those are guys I want more so than anybody else because they know what it's like. They know what it's like when the facilities aren't the greatest. They know what it's like when they're not, you know, getting all the money or the 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 trips aren't you know so glorious or you know the, the locker room isn't the greatest they know how to make the most out of whatever they have and that's what Casey Keeler is that's what Lance Leopold is and I know Lance is going to do a great job at Kansas and I think Casey I want to see him stay at Sam Houston for a long time but seeing him get another championship he's the only coach to have two FCS championships at two different schools so congratulations to him but I'm taking Casey over over half the one for sure. If you can win at Delaware and win at Sam Houston State, you're good at recruiting and coaching because they're very different situations. It's not like McNeese and Sam Houston State. I know those are different, but they're not as different. Delaware. And look, I've done games at Delaware. Delaware is a unique situation. Yes. You own the state. And, you know, they draw 20, 25,000 up there every time. I mean, it really is a cool place. Uh, anyway, let's get on to the next one. Who's better? All right, since we're on the subject of FCS, they just had the okay. championship over the weekend, and I know that uh, it was weird with COVID in the spring, but let's just go non-COVID here. You tell me, the way the FBS is done right now with the 14 playoff yep. or FCS, what are you taking? I take FCS all day, every day. All right. Now, I had this conversation the other day, uh, actually, with our buddy Dave Fletcher. I was okay. watching actually watch a championship game with Fletch and we were talking about the playoff and where it gets dicey getting all the way to 16 teams in FBS is the fact that you have 12 games already. Then you have a, a championship conference championship game. Then all of a sudden you're going to play four games on top of that. You're talking about 17 games for college students. Now that's tough. That's tough. Now again, the NFL's playing 17, but and you're not talking all every team's playing 17 games. Johnny, talking how, how many games? 17 games. How many games is a Texas high school team playing if they win the championship or playing the championship game? It ends up being, I think, 16. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, you know, Fletch's argument was stronger against that than mine. I, I think it's it's a it's a grind. It is a grind once you get into a 16 team playoff. I've said I want six or 12 because I want teams to have a bye. I want two teams. Of the six to have a bye, I want four teams in the 12 to have a bye just to reward those teams that have been that much better than everybody else. And I would love to see the Bulls utilized in those playoff games. I just know they're not going to. So if they're not going to, then just play them on campus like you do for the uh, the FCS games. I'm telling you, I went to that JMU game, and it was phenomenal. The intensity in that game was just off the charts. And, it, and they couldn't even have a full crowd, but it was electric for an on-campus playoff game. Can you imagine an on-campus playoff game at Alabama or A&M or Michigan? I mean, it would be incredible, incredible. 
Yep. Love to see it. All right. Coming up, Johnny, we have one more segment. And these are things that the Texans need to keep doing from despite going four and 12, the 2020 season. And they do not include anything in the passing game. How about that? I've got some things for you. Stay tuned. It's Texans radio. Mark Vandermeer, John Harris with you, Texans Radio. Okay, Johnny, I said this. Despite the fact that the Texans went 4-12 in 2020, there are some things I'd like them them to keep doing, all right? Keep doing these things. And I know the team's very different, obviously. But I liked this. Are you ready? And these don't involve the passing game. So before you start or the listening audience starts thinking, oh, my gosh, Vandermeer's getting – no, I'm not going to bring anything up like that. But I will bring this up. Second fewest penalty yards in the National Football League. All right. You didn't have those kinds of errors in great volume. Also, fourth fewest penalties altogether. That ain't bad stuff right there. Now, sometimes you have really good teams that do commit some penalties. You know, they get a little overzealous here and there. You know, you got to get a little aggressive. But I think those are two pretty cool things. And I hope those things continue. Well, there's no, there's no question The in 2019, and Laramie struggled with it. He talked about it, you know, the false starts and, and those sort of things. I mean, yeah, yeah, five yards here, five yards there. What's the big deal? Man, that stuff starts piling up during a game, and a drive that's got some promise goes from, I mean, how many times did we see over the years, you know, get down in the red zone, false start. All right, well, instead of being first and goal at the seven, it's first and goal at the 12. The probability of scoring goes down immensely from that particular aspect. And if you can at least know, hey, we're going to play a clean game. We, we're going to play a clean game. We're not going to have a bunch of penalties and we're not turning the ball over. In the NFL, you're going to have an opportunity to be in that game. College, high school, you can maybe play the perfect game. You just may be out-talented by the South Lake Carrolls, the Katies, the Alabamas of the world. In the NFL, everybody on a pretty even playing for the most part. You don't turn the ball over and you don't have a bunch of penalties. You're going to be in that football game. You will be in that football game. You generate a turnover coming back your way to get an extra possession. You will absolutely be in that game. So to continue that trend, no question. That is absolutely beyond a shadow of a doubt key. Throw on top of that improvement in the run game. So limiting the penalties the same way improving the run game and i'm not going to be you know mr old school well you know you, you control the clock and you keep them off the field <laughs> but this this might be that kind of offense that has to that has to do that right and that, i'm fine with that if they've got to take up 34 35 36 minutes of game clock rock on as long as there are points at the end of those particular long drives yes Yes. Look, we all know the offense at times last year was explosive. No doubt yards per play. You lead the league and all of that, but you only have four wins to show for it because you weren't able to run the ball. Well, you couldn't take the ball away. We've talked about those things an awful lot. But here's another one for you in an instance. Okay. Because the last three games of the season, we've talked about the fact that David Johnson averaged over 130 yards from scrimmage in those last three games. I want to see that kind of production from the backs if David's playing a lot or Philip Lindsay, yep. or if it's Ingram, whoever, let's see that continue that trend of getting something out of these backs that they had in the last three games. Let's keep that going into 2021. I know the team's different lines, different coaches are different, but Tim Kelly still here is the OC. 
Got to get the backs really productive like that. Well, the especially the last game or two, mm-hmm. and didn't have Laramie, didn't have Titus. You're playing with Rod and Charlie Heck as your tackles, and you yep. still were running the ball right pretty well. And I think Rod's come a really long way. And Charlie did show me something in those last couple of games that wasn't there in training camp or the beginning of the season. Is it perfect? No. But those guys got on the field and they mixed it up a little bit. They got people pushed off the ball a little bit. They gave David Johnson the opportunity to make a decision and make and, and it ended up being a positive one because right. they stayed on blocks. They, they ran that zone game. And I think that was the other thing, too, that – they were able to find at the end of the year. And that is, hey, David Johnson in particular, he's a pretty good zone runner. If you get him going on a zone track, he has good eyes for that. He has good vision for that. He knows where the cutback is. He can stay front side if he needs to. But he's a good zone running back. And I think they really found that. So combined with how they were getting guys moved up front a little bit with David, they put that mix together. And that goes back, I think, to Tim Kelly saying, hey, wait a second. This might be what we are. That's okay. That's all right. Hey, I really want to do this. I've had that. I've had that epiphany as a coach. Like, you know what? I want to throw the football. But if I throw the football, we're going to get beat 48 to nothing. This (laughs) game will go on forever. So you know what? We're going to try and run the rock a little bit. And lo and behold, every week we got better running the ball. And before you know it, we ended up being, instead of a 70-30 throwing team, we were more like a 70-30 running team. And that we found our core confidence. We found what we were. Um, And I think that's what Tim was able to find with the running game that, Hey, this is what we are and what we can be. And now with some added pieces in there, Philip Lindsay and Mark Ingram, along with the guys up front, Marcus Cannon, Britt, uh, Lane Taylor, Justin McCray, along with hopefully some, some uh, the return of Titus Howard from injury that can end up being a really good offensive line that can physically take over at times. And do it cool. more than just at times. That would be really kind of nice. Well, the only play calling I've done is uh, flag football. And I think it should be illegal to run the ball in flag football. To me, it's like <laughs> cheating. I don't like to do it, John. Even with my eight-year-olds, I don't I like know. I don't like running the ball. I want to throw the ball every time. Even if it's throw a two-yard it. pass, throw the ball. It's flag football, for crying out loud. Not, I mean, come on. Anyway, don't get me started on flag football. I love it. And it yeah. should not, you should not be allowed to run the ball unless they're kindergarten kids. That is my stance. Anyway, my friend, that's going to do it for the show tonight. Thank you, Eddie, for producing. Have a great night, everyone. This show will be on the app soon enough. And go to that Texans app for all the information on experiencing game day together, NRG Stadium this fall, and everything else regarding your Houston Texans. Have a great evening. Go Texans.